Well, hello there, woman beings. We are so excited to be here with you today. We are here with the beautiful Joy Thayer. She is the CEO and owner of Sparrow Pictures and Sawyer, two production companies in town. She's a prominent member of the community, but she is also a mother, which is a lot of what we'll be talking about today. So without further ado, we're just going to dive right in. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. All right, so Joy, thank you so much for being here with us today. We are so excited to have you. Um, To start off, would you tell us a little bit about your son, Sawyer? And um, how your life with him really began. Oh, my. Um, yeah. Um, I thought I was more prepared than that. Um, so I had my son Sawyer when I was 19. I was about 20 years old. I got pregnant with him when I was 19 years old. And um, didn't know anything was wrong during my pregnancy. And he was born at 42 weeks, 42 and a half weeks. And um, the doctors took him away, and when they came back to the room, he wasn't with them. And they let me know at that point that there was something wrong. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with him, and that they could just leave him in the other room and let him pass. And I didn't even have to see him. So that was the, my my introduction to my son. Was mm-hmm. uh, he was born and taken out of the room, and found out that we didn't know what was going on, and he probably wasn't going to make it overnight. Wow, I can't imagine like all the feelings that would come up with that kind of a situation. Like you are a new mother, you're excited to welcome your second child into the world and the doctors come to you with that kind of a decision, like just hours after giving birth. Like yeah. how did you how did you navigate that and what was your reaction to that kind of a like we can leave your son to die and you're like like as a mom, what was that like? Yeah, um, when I was sitting there, we had quite a few people in the birthing room, mm-hmm. and um, had my daughter there, and I had my family there, and I instantly was like, no, like it just it didn't. That my knee jerk reaction was like, I want to see my son, bring mm-hmm. him here, I'm okay, um, I can handle this, and and even if he passes. Um, I want to be a part of that situation. Yeah. And so it, that's not something you want to do, but that's something that you can handle as a human being and you can deal with, yeah. you know, the aftermath of, of that situation. So at first the doctor came in and you could tell on his face that there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. There was a nurse right behind him and she was kind of quiet. And then she's the one that spoke up and said, you know, she's trying to be compassionate and she's trying to be kind. And, and she was saying, you know, we don't even have to see him. And, and, um, instantly I just said, I want you to go get him and bring him here. And, um, so they, they brought him into the birthing room and he, he just, he looked like the wise old Indian man because his father is native American and he had this, um, kind of beaked nose. His was more prominent because of his syndrome and everything. And his hands, his thumbs went underneath and his hands were all twisted and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he looked like he was, you know, 90 to a hundred years old. Um, he was, I started singing to him right away, you're too good to be true. 
And so that was his theme song over the course of his life. And I stared at him all night long, waiting for him to pass. That's what I was told was going to happen. They tested Mm -hmm. everything, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And they found out three days later it was on the genetic level that he had a rare genetic syndrome that he got from both his father and myself. And then for um, the audience, I know, like, syndromes and genetic disorders isn't something people are widely educated about. Could you explain what Sawyer's diagnosis was um, for everyone? So um, we didn't know this when he was born because this was 23 years ago Mm -hmm. that um, they didn't have the genome mapped at the time. So they didn't know what gene it was. Now we can actually identify the gene. And so my daughter's got tested um, because it's her uh, biological full-blooded brother and so Mm -hmm. she's been able to get tested to see if she carries a gene and she can pass that on I've been tested and to identify it for my daughter Um, what happens is everybody carries uh, malfunction genes Mm -hmm. it's finding somebody else that matches your malfunction gene and the best way I can describe it is if you have like two left shoes so what you want is a shoe for both foot Mm -hmm. uh, feet and then but having one that just fits one foot and so he got a pair of genes from his father and a pair of genes from me and then they didn't match up properly and so when he was developing in my stomach it caused different connective tissue disorders and everything so he had what people don't quite understand is like enlarged ventricles of the brain so you have these ventricles his are larger so the brain space doesn't have as much room Um, the connective tissue disorder his chest caved in because it didn't connect properly Mm. Um, he was double jointed when he was born he had a seizure when he was almost two years old and it caused him to go tight Um, so it affected everything he was a dwarf Um, he didn't get very tall and the maximum he weighed was 78 pounds over the course of his almost 21 years of life and um, yeah. So as you were navigating, you know, having a son, first of all, while well, you were so young, yeah. who um, is so different from most kids, um, who has this disorder, and um, as you were going to doctor's appointments, working with doctors, like, how did you navigate that? What did that look like in working with the doctors? Um, and how did you, I know you've talked to us about sort of finding that, that balance between trusting them and trusting yourself, which we even saw you do or heard about you do um, when you told the doctors, no, I want to see my son, yeah. you know, um, and you were persistent in that. Um, what did that, what did that look like for you? Um, I realized right away that doctors are, are there to be my ally um, and I was my son's advocate. And while they are highly trained and educated and they have experience that I didn't have, I had my son's best interest in mind. And so I was going to figure out how I can partner with them and, um, and listen to their feedback and what they have to offer, but ultimately not allow them to make the decisions for him. And so that I had to trust my gut instincts. And if my gut was wrong, then I had to, you know, experience what that was going to be like um, but I was just determined that I was going to give him the best quality of life and that we would deal with his death when he was dead and until he died then he was going to be here every waking moment as, as full as possible so um, just letting them know that I was not going to just be told what to do and I don't I don't take orders um, from, anyone. <laughs> from anyone without a reason behind it mm-hmm. you know like I, 
I would trust them and their advice and opinions and everything. But ultimately, I have to live with the decisions that I'm making. And my decisions will directly impact his life. And so I immediately just started going, I want to learn. I am uh, one of my top 10 strength finders as a learner. And so I said, well, give me, when we went into the genesis, I said, give me all the information you have on this syndrome. I've never been around anybody disabled. And they gave me one sheet of paper. And I was like, wait, I want to know, like, all about this, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, that's all there is. And I was like, no way. So to this day, I actually have binders of um, all of his doctor's appointments and everything, and I kept everything, which because I'm a producer, it's probably it normal. <laughs> binders make sense, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I've got all of his, uh, his medical records and binders, so if somebody else says, hey, I want to know about this syndrome, they can actually see his experiences and the choices that I made and how it impacted him. So I have his... Um, <laughs> I have x-rays and all kinds of stuff. But doing that allowed me to make educated decisions. So when I started saying, you know, I want him to be treated naturally, mm-hmm. um, I discovered that I really am not a huge fan of Western medicine. I think that complementary medicines are great. And finding out the what's and the whys and how come. Mm-hmm. But um, there are more side effects to medications than there are benefits to medication. So why am I going to cause something worse to happen. But if he needs pain relief, I want to be able to give him pain relief. I don't want him stuck on painkillers. So Mm -hmm. I started studying what herbs I could give him, what vitamins I could give him, um, what ways I could treat him nutritionally, and then taking that information to them. And if they would value looking at that information, then we can make a joint decision. Mm -hmm. If they didn't value looking at it, they ended up not being my doctor. So Mm -hmm. we ended up with nine regular doctors that I trusted and I had through the course of his life. Um, I probably had like 20 some odd doctors that are no, were no longer his doctors at some Mm. point. So, yeah. And could you also say, I don't think you said exactly what his condition was. Oh, he was born with a rare genetic syndrome called DeBarcy syndrome, cutis laxotype. Uh, DeBarcy was a man that discovered his two-year-old daughter had the syndrome. And, um, and so I don't, actually, I'm not sure if that's true. It might have been the doctor was DeBarcy and not the father. But, um, and so he discovered this, and then they, they uh, the closest thing that's on a mass scale, because there's only like 43 cases in the world, um, would be like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And mm-hmm. so Ehler, Ehlers-Danlos is more commonly known, but it's not the same. Um, the other part of it is he had what's called progeria um, mm. a progeroid aspect. So progeria is an aging faster. So the way that it was described to me is if you take a rubber band and you mm-hmm. stretch it back and forth, over time that rubber band starts getting weaker and weaker. Mm-hmm. His rubber band and his connective tissue is like you take that rubber band, you poke a bunch of holes in it, and you stretch it mm-hmm. over time, and it breaks down a lot faster than your yeah. nice connective tissue. Mm-hmm. And what was – so you said also that when he was born they told you – that he wasn't going to last the night. Mm-hmm. Um, what was his life expectancy after that? Yeah. And then as you carried on, like I know you've talked about how uh, typically people with this syndrome only live until they're 5 or 12, mm-hmm. and very few live until they're actually adults. Mm-hmm. What was that? The average him? age of death is a year old, and the second average is 12. The oldest living was between 23 and 24, and he was almost 21. He passed away in February, and his birthday was May 8th. Um, the, commonly, the ones that lived, there was only a few that lived into their 20s, um, they were had a much milder 
form of his syndrome. So he was one of the most severe and lived almost the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is due in part to um, a lot of prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think not just from me, but from a lot of other people, I think it had to do with the way I treated him nutritionally. And I think it had a lot to do with our lifestyle. And mm-hmm. I think there's a combination of, of things, not any one thing that I can say that was yeah. what caused him to live so long. And I think inside that he had while he was born with failure to thrive I think he had the desire to live Mm -hmm. I think that even when he was passing I don't think he was wanting to go I think his body was like I'm done yeah I think well I know that you're just like a a joyful and fun person as your name to your namesake but um you also had other kids and you had a family (laughs) how did you like keep things fun and like keep your kids moving and loving each other and getting along and all of that stuff in the midst of caring so for him. So I had my oldest daughter, Sawyer's uh, sister, when I was 16 years old. And so she ended up going to all the doctor's appointments and everything with me right away. We lived in a little tiny town called Hayfork. We owned 120 acres and we had cows and horses and all this stuff. And suddenly I find myself driving to the city all the time and she's with me. So the first thing I did was um, I love art and crafts and different things so I just created tubs and buckets and we would grab a different one on different trips and then we would go to doctor's appointments and we would be there sometimes all day long and then we would decide to make a day of it so if we were in Sacramento we went to the Capitol and she got her history lessons and different things like that if we were um, down in Los Angeles we were able to go to Disneyland we uh, if we were in San Francisco, we were able to hop over to go to Six Flags, and, and we would visit museums, and we would visit. So it was not just, like, fun fun. It was educational fun and different things like that. I didn't plan on having any more children after Sawyer. Um, I, I've had a lot of dreams in my heart and my head for as long as I can remember. And after having him, the reality of, like, this is going to be my life and this is what I'm delving into is I didn't want to have more children. I got uh, remarried, and my husband wanted to have uh, a child with me, and so we ended up getting pregnant with my daughter, Seraphim. Um, went through a horrendous divorce that took a really long time. I married my now husband, Matt, and he came with two children. And, um, and you so came with three. <laughs> well, and then I actually ended up coming with four because oh. <laughs> the joke is, is I have a billion children. And I was a youth pastor for a while, so I had actually integrated a young lady into my home at this point. And so she was 14 when she lived with me. But she wasn't necessarily like having another child as much as she wanted to be of help. And so it was really great. She would help babysit. She was helping with keeping the house clean. And, um, and she would end up going to doctor's appointments and we would fly down to Los Angeles together and we would do all this stuff. Um, so when I got with Matt, I came with four kids and probably a couple little stragglers that I call my (laughs) spiritual children. Um, and then, um, and Matt had a vasectomy, and I was like, this is so amazing. You're the man. <laughs> and then I started having dreams about having children, and I was like, that's just stupid. And then Seraphim was like, oh, I see you having a baby. And you're like, get off me. <laughs> and so we ended up having a vasectomy reversal. Um, and then we had three miscarriages over four years. And then um, I had my rainbow baby, which is Abigail. And so I had... I had kids young, I had kids in the middle, and I had kids 
when I, now I have, I'm in the geriatric <laughs> section and I have to get all the testing for being a, an older mom. And then um, we said, okay, well, we either need to have children back to back or we're done because Abigail and Seraphim were now 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. And so I, I told Matt, you know, it's your decision on what you want to do. And we said, okay, well, we'll try because Abigail was so hard fought for. And if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And then my daughter Georgia called and she said, hey, mom, I'm pregnant. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a grandma. I'm going to be a young grandma. And I am, I'm not. I went on lockdown. and like, don't look at me. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. And a couple of weeks went by. And I hadn't started my period. And another week went by. I hadn't started my period. And I was like, oh, I'm just stressed out. And I went to the dollar store, got the cheapest test there was, snuck in the bathroom, took the test, and it was like, bing, bing, and I was pregnant. So my grandson is a week older than my son. Wow. How do we have fun is we just, we do. We just, we do life. I, to this day, I went and saw my grandkids the other day, and um, I worked the whole time I was there, and I was doing arts and crafts with them, and I could send emails. If it's something I don't have to, like, drill in and focus on I can do that kind of stuff if I have to do that then I'm like please somebody take the kids away from me because I can't think but um we just made life work and when you incorporate everybody like Sawyer would go to school with me when I was helping out at Sarah from school and stuff um the kids would um at first, they'd be afraid of Sawyer, and they didn't know what to think of him. He looks really weird, as you'll see in some pictures. Um, but as soon as they got over that fear that either they could catch it or that he was going to hurt them, because a lot of like horror movies and different things, if even if you see the images on there, there's, there's deformity. So yeah. he's obviously scary. So as soon as you diffuse that and you say, hey, like, you know, look at Sawyer. Is like his hands are really weird, and I describe like – and his tendons in here, they pulled really tight. And so you could see his bones were really funky. Mm-hmm. And then you would talk to them about it. And, yeah, he's so scary. And then the next thing you know, I was like, but it doesn't hurt him. And they're like, it doesn't hurt. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't hurt me either. I love holding his hand. And then you're like, his skin is so soft. Do you want to feel his skin? And it's like all, all wrinkly. And so they'd come over and they'd start feeling his skin. And they'd be checking it out. And they'd, I'd show them their tendon. And they'd look at their tendon. And next thing you know, in the middle of school, they're shoving things in his nose. And they smell this, Sawyer, and check this out. And they're just involved with what he's doing. And so my kids felt like he was just a part of their life. Mm-hmm. And that he wasn't taking from them because they had to sit there at a doctor's appointment. Or that mom needed so much of his time and attention Mm -hmm. they all of a sudden were feeding him and they were involved in hey can you help me get a diaper or can you help me do this or that and you just incorporated that into their world and then when they got their quality time we always did dates and so each one of them got their own date Mm -hmm. and you got to pick out what you wanted for your date and so once a week we went on a date with a kid so it's kind of like having employee reviews (laughs) right you got it like your date your one-on-one time so I did that with the kids is you got to really know them they felt special and it was also I didn't pick out where they ate I didn't pick out what we did we had a certain amount of budget that we put in of like this is what you get to spend what do you want to do so some of them are very girly and they wanted to go get their nails done some of them like shopping some of them like reading so we ended up at Barnes and Noble so um as long as we did life together they felt 
like they were seen and cared for and all of that. And we ended up with a lot of children. Um, I don't recommend that to everybody. I think two <laughs> is really great. I'm down to two kids living in home. Uh, that's very manageable. But I think we had a special grace for it. And I have an amazing life partner that does business with me. And I'm fortunate enough to have employees that tolerate my children coming in <laughs> to their space. And Sawyer just went everywhere with us. So, Joy, what I love um, about hearing about you and Sawyer is how connected you both were. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys were so in sync and so connected, and it felt like you you just knew. You knew what Sawyer needed. You knew what he liked. You knew what was on his mind. And I would love to hear more about how you cultivated that connection, especially with a, a special needs child that's nonverbal. Like, mm-hmm. what did that process look like? I don't know that I've ever thought about that question before, mm-hmm. and so that's that's a really great question. Um, I think, like I was saying earlier, when he was born, um, I stared at him all night long, and I had actually thought that I had caused his uh, him to be ill because I I didn't want my pregnancy after I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so I had thought, like, I word cursed him or did something. So when I... I, I probably carried a certain amount of guilt for that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so for the first couple of years, he slept on my chest every night waiting for him to pass because that's what I've been told, that he's going to pass away. And so it was um, actually right before he had the seizure that I felt like God had told me that deal with his death when he's dead. And so I was like, okay, because I was constantly treating him as if he was going to die. So as soon as I had some mind shifts, I, I think that um, I just – thought he was going to live forever mm-hmm. and um in in some of that I don't know there were so many different things I had horses and so I think that was one of those weird things that I actually associated with Sawyer is horses don't really communicate with you mm-hmm. but the, if if I befriended them and you let them smell you and you got that relationship it was very similar like mm-hmm. for me with Sawyer and so just building that trust and then trying to figure out here he is and he's screaming so much because he's in pain. Why are you in pain? What can you what can I do to make this stop for your sake and my sake? Mm-hmm. You know, this is exhausting. We're both emotional. We're both tired and you're in pain and that sucks. And so I think that a few a few things that that happened would be um, just trying to figure out what I can do. I found out when he was about nine months old that he had a hip that was out of socket. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up having to get a spica cast and, and putting him in, in this weird shaped cast. And um, the doctors didn't even find that he had his hip out of socket. I'm the one that found that he had mm-hmm. his hip out of socket. Yeah. I discovered that had, he had what's called I know there's a lot of medical jargon here, but he had what's called bilateral inguinal hernias. So bi meaning tooth and inguinal inguinal meaning inside. So he had these hernias. So um, what would happen is that his his gut would go through a little hole in his Mm -hmm. tissue and go down into his testicle sac. And that was painful. Yeah. And we didn't want to do surgery on that because surgery outweighed the risk of of him so he could die during surgery yeah. or he could live with this pain so I don't want him to live with the pain and so you would figure out what 
what crying was caused from what source of pain. Mm. So now I'm, it looks very inappropriate and I would be, you know, it had been awkward to have anybody walk in on you not knowing what you were doing, but I'd actually have to massage his testicle sac to get that hernia back up that get that gut back in spot Mm -hmm. so he'd stop hurting yeah as soon as you do that he's like oh I can pee and I'm relieved and like Mm -hmm. and so some of it just came out of a necessity to figure out how to stop his crying Mm -hmm. I was explaining to you guys the other day is um realizing how much gas was a part of his crying Mm -hmm is because we naturally will move. We don't even know that we release gas, that kind of stuff. So he'd be crying in the middle of the night. He's holding still. Um, you have fed him right before bed, and all of a sudden he's got a gas bubble. You end up waking up, burping him, or messing with his stomach, and you help him to fart, and he relaxes. So some of it, like I said, just came out of pure need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other parts of it is when he's happy, he had the best smile and he would respond so well to things and he'd respond to sunshine and we'd go on our morning walks and I've had rollerblades and I enjoy outdoor activities. So, and he would respond really well to those kinds of things. And I figured that gives me exercise. That's something fun and enjoyable for me. And it was something that he enjoyed doing. And so we're all getting the health benefits and we're all getting, um, I'd say pleasure out of the activity. Mm-hmm. And so that that would reinforce, oh, this is fun for all of us. And so there would be those those finding outs of what he liked because yeah. if he didn't like something, he'd let you know. And if I have a, a plethora of music tastes depending <laughs> on my mood and um, I, I love worship music only if I'm alone. I hate worship music if there's kids in the car. Thank I think you. it's repetitive yes. and I want to bang my head up against the wall. I love I rock and roll <laughs> music. I love uh, classical music. I love all different kinds of music depending on where I'm at and what's happening. And so I started learning Sawyer's taste in music because we would be riding in the car and he'd be completely quiet and I'd stick on something or one of my billion other children would stick on something and Sawyer would be in the back seat and all of a sudden he'd be like, "Ah!" (laughs) so his nonverbal was uh, very known (laughs) that this was not a happy thing. Um, We would be in a church service and all of a sudden Sawyer's over there and he's relaxed and his arms are kind of mellowing out and he, because he's really tight. And he's just over here, and he's smiling. You're like, oh, he understands the presence of the Holy Spirit. He mm-hmm. gets that. And this is not a forced thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the way he would respond to colors, um, he seemed to respond really well to red and orange. And so I'm going, oh, those must be his favorite colors. Yeah. And I think those are conversations for another time is, like, that wasn't – something those were his preferences mm-hmm. you know you, we talk about nature and nurture and all that kind of stuff I've, I tried to nurture my daughter to like purple and she loves pink um <laughs> I was like you are gonna like purple because February is my birthday and it's purple and she's like nah pink um so he responded well to that he responded really well to Tigger for the longest period of time um even like females, if he was around a female that he thought was pretty, all of a sudden, it is no joke. This would happen. Is he all of a sudden be over here? Uh, <laughs> and you just do this thing. You're like, flirt. yeah. So there was this um, this lady that uh, that came over and she babysat for me so I could do some stuff. And her name was Dustine, and she was from South Africa. And she had like really dark hair. She had these blue eyes and and this 
tan skin. And every time she came over, he's like, <laughs> and so you learned what he liked and what he didn't like. And I was like, oh, buddy, you're totally flirting with her. So I, I'm sharing with you guys, um, we ended up getting him T-shirts and we just had the greatest time with his t-shirts because if people were going to stare, we were going to let them have a fun time. Uh, I got him a shirt that says, hello, my name is Ladies Man. <laughs> and um, we had we had different shirts that said, um, I do all my own stunts and it's all my sister's fault. And we actually got my, we got his sister a shirt that said it's all my brother's fault and they'd wear them together. Aww. So we just had a lot of fun doing all mm. kinds of stuff and you just learned what was what was his preferences and what was not his preferences. I think the most frustrating one on a personal note is I love chocolate and I wanted my son to love chocolate and he likes strawberries and so he likes strawberry shakes and he liked uh, strawberry jello and different things like that and I would say how do you know that? How would you know that about somebody that can't tell you? Mm-hmm. Well, if I gave him something that he didn't like, like peas, and he and I agreed on, I don't, I'm not a very picky person, but I don't like peas very much. <laughs> um, if we'd give him peas, he would let it sit in his mouth like a normal kid would let it sit mm-hmm. in his mouth. And you're like, buddy, just swallow it, just swallow it. And next thing you know, the peas are coming down the side of his mouth. <laughs> you give him strawberries and oh yeah that's happening and he just over there you're like oh he likes the strawberries you know so you just you just learned what what that was like for him and you made your best assumptions and I could have totally been wrong and I might get to heaven one day and he's like yeah I hated that (laughs) but um I I think that we figured out a pretty good rhythm. Mm -hmm. I think I would like to say I was his favorite person. Um, I think my dad was probably his favorite person. My dad either was his favorite or a pretty close second. Mm My dad and I were tied right there. Um, So if my dad came in the house and um, he didn't say hi to Sawyer, because we have a two-story house, and he's upstairs. Sawyer could hear him. Sawyer's hearing was just fine. So Mm -hmm. when you... Um, from what I understand, when you have some kind of disability or some kind of something that happens, your body is amazing and it compensates. So his yeah. hearing was heightened because he had uh, cloudy corneas and stuff. So he could hear my dad upstairs. Next thing you know, Sawyer's downstairs. And he's like, ah, ah. <laughs> and he makes these different noises. Yeah. And so he's like, hello, hey, come say hi to me. Yeah. And so he would have these different people that he got very familiar with mm-hmm. in life. And even when I show you more pictures, if I went on any kind of trip without him or whatever, we'd FaceTime, which is like the best thing ever. Didn't yeah. have a cell phone until I was 26 years old. And, um, and then ended up with like the little razors and flip phones and then all of a sudden you have FaceTime and so you can see on FaceTime that he'd just be sitting there hanging out right and then all of a sudden they'd put me in front of him with Mm -hmm. FaceTime and he's smiling Mm -hmm. and he's like yay so you learned what he likes and what he didn't like and I think our connection just came from like we did everything together and I, I wanted to be a part of of giving him that quality of life and it wasn't I didn't want to just be his caregiver there's mm-hmm. something different that somebody's getting paid to do a job they come over they wash they clean and all that kind of stuff than somebody that cares about something whether that's a car there's somebody that has a car they own a car and somebody that loves their car mm-hmm. and they're going to keep it clean and they're going to do that so I love Sawyer mm-hmm. like I love him yeah yeah and it's just beautiful like I love how you talk about him and his likes and dislikes and how much of a personality he had and 
how he had crushes on girls and things <laughs> like that. And um, it's just it's just beautiful the way you talk about him. And um, but you also talked about being in the church with him. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you happen to be part of a more charismatic movement of the church <laughs> that believes in healing and miracles and yeah. and things like that. Uh, how did you navigate kind of that tension of probably lots of people wanting to pray for him and, you know, well-intended, kind words about his future and things like that? How, how was that for you? I think a few mottos that I've um, really embraced over life, one of them being grace and hustle. That is my, you'll see it on my signature on my, um, on my emails. And it's really just a lot of hard work. If you have big dreams and you have all of these things and you want to accomplish something, um, you better be ready to go above and beyond a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Sawyer was a lot of hard work. Um, and then a lot of grace, whether it's grace for yourself, grace for other people, that kind of thing. I think I learned early on um, not to get offended. Like my my offense button is so, like I have such a high tolerance for people. I try really hard to use communication and I feel that God gave us words for a reason and so I try to think about what's bothering me, why is it bothering me, what can I do about it, what can I say, what do people need to hear so they can deal with their side of this relationship and realizing whether they were ignorant or they were well-intentioned or anything like that. And then last of all, I think I did... um, I have a blog and uh, I've been writing a book for a while, The Joy of Imperfection, and it's just learning to embrace imperfections in life. So when I'd have different people approach me in the church, it's operating out of all of those areas of they really want to see Sawyer healed. They are hearing teachings. They are believing that God does these things. It's in the Bible. It's That's their paradigm. And I agree with those things. I believe in healing. I believe, like I said earlier, I think that Sawyer lived as long as he did because of the prayers. So um, for me, going to church was not the communal experience that I had desired, especially after a while. Mm-hmm. So I'd take him to church. And then I would be in worship and I'd have my eyes closed or my hands raised and I'd get a tap on the shoulder. And instantly inside I'm like, oh no, oh no. And I'm getting completely interrupted. And so I had to really think about what did I need my spiritual relationship with God to look like? What did I, what did I need my expectations of going to church look like and and exposing Sawyer to church and exposing others to Sawyer what did I want that to look like mm-hmm. and so just trying to have grace for those people that really wanted to see him healed really wanted to experience the miraculous and and asking them either nicely like hey can you pray for him over there or can you pray for him another time or just say do you mind praying for him without me or if they wanted information me having the grace to sit there and talk to them because they're sincerely curious i think that um i would get my worship time later i decided this is not the place for me to have worship time and i'm not going to be intimate with the lord in this space i'm gonna i'm here to enter into that the best of my ability um but allow this kind of thing to happen i also felt like people actually probably received more from Sawyer than maybe than he received from them. Mm -hmm. He got their prayers and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that mattered, but 
I think that he was a conduit of love and that as they got to pray for him and they got that, they, I think, were infused with a certain amount of grace. And I've talked to you about, I think one of the things I loved about Sawyer is he never felt sorry for himself. And um, he had this ability, just, he had the biggest reason to have self-pity and he just didn't and I think that these kids that came here or even adults um that came and they want to pray for him and they they have just such a heart and all that kind of stuff all of a sudden I think they were experiencing their life wasn't so hard or their life wasn't so bad and I think that they were actually getting impacted and then that would be the biggest thing I'd say to anybody is learn how to live undefended we make assumptions and judgments all the time. We'll judge people on why they talk to us that way or why they look at, looked at us this way or whatever. 99% of the time, we're actually wrong, is get curious, ask questions, and say, hey, when you looked at me this way, it made me feel this way. And oftentimes, they'll be like, oh, I was hungry, or I was thinking about this. And it's not, we're, we're so, like, narcissistic as humans, as we think everything is about us. And r- really, it's probably about the person that's over there. Yeah. So if we can get curious and ask really good questions or express how that made me feel, we get to let them own that side of the conversation. Hey, when you're looking at me this way, I'm, I'm really wondering what's happening inside of your brain. And they're going, oh, well, I never saw somebody like that or I, I didn't know this would happen. And then it would it would actually open up a lot of dialogue for them to learn and grow. And I And it gave me a lot of opportunity to learn and grow. I also had a choice if I wanted to go to church or not. I had a, a choice of like, do I want to watch this on streaming? Do I? Because now we have that ability, and and oftentimes I'd make that choice of like, no, nah, I'm not going to do this today. I don't feel mm-hmm. like it. And then I think I was sharing probably with you is as processing. What do I think of other people are going to think of me if I'm not actually at church and my husband's at mm-hmm. church and my kids are at church? And then processing through why do I care about what they think of me Mm. like why is their opinion important to me and realizing that I had to think about that is it like are they going to be judging whether I'm I'm not all the things or whatever and coming to the realization I don't care Mm -hmm. like what and that might sound rude but I really don't care I really care about what God thinks about me I have a lot of close friends that are going to call me out on my crap and those people's opinions are what matters. It's like them checking in and saying, hey, I noticed you haven't been at church lately. Is everything okay? And if I say, oh, well, I just needed, I, I actually need some alone time with God. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or no, I just haven't gone because I just haven't gone. And they're like, yeah, we, we really feel like you should like connect and we should do that. But mm. getting some of those needs met in different ways um, or or just accepting that this is how it was going to be. He'd attend conferences with me. Um, he would do all kinds of stuff. And just realizing that I, if he was going to be out there and I was going to expose other people to him, I would also have to give those other people some grace to be experienced to somebody mm-hmm. they're not used to being experienced with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually so important for people to get that exposure, you mm-hmm. know, to, to people who are... Um, different from them because part of why you see like you mentioned like people being scared of of him or um, is because like those are seen as such uh, taboo images Mm -hmm. and that's why you see like horror movies basically exploiting the look of people who are disabled um, or have some sort of physical abnormality um, because the abnormal is so scary to us Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it, part of that, I think, is, like, self-defense because sometimes things that are abnormal are bad. 
but also we have to recognize that like that is not a uh, a constant condition mm-hmm. for uh, what is bad and what is good. Uh, so I think it's really great that you expose so many people mm-hmm. to him, um, and he was able to experience so much of the world, uh, even with the the disadvantages and the setbacks that he had. Mm-hmm. Like that's amazing that mm-hmm. he was able to live so fully. Yeah. But like we've mentioned, uh, Sawyer has passed away. Mm-hmm. So. I want to hear a little bit about what the grieving process looked like for you in that, um, especially, as we mentioned, you are the owner and CEO of these production companies. You have all of these children. You have your husband. Like, you have yourself. <laughs> you have employees. Like, you yeah. have all of these responsibilities. Um, what was it like for you uh, when he passed away and then going through the grieving process? Well, I think that I'm probably still in the grieving process. I think this this being one of those situations is just being real and honest and open with people and, um, and allowing myself to cry uncomfortably in front of a camera and, and on... On audio, um, I think that's a big part of it. I think that a few different things that I've done. I have a grief counselor and I have a trauma counselor because they are completely different types of counseling, mm-hmm. um, and I have experienced a lot of both over the course of my life. And this is one of those situations, um, and and taking their advice and, and implementing it, and then also deciding what are appropriate places to deal with my grief and deal with the trauma. So when I'm at work, I really try to be at work. I try to be with my employees. I try to have my headspace there and not going, you know, I feel bad that Sawyer's gone or I miss him or something. Now, if something shows up at the office because I'm used to him being with me, I might step in the bathroom for a second and be like, I'm going to feel this. I'm going to I'm going to lean into the pain or I'm going to go, no, nope, I'm going to adjust right now. And I'm going to brag Bag, brown bag that thought and I'm going to deal with it later but I will revisit that thought I'm not going to like suppress that thought because mm-hmm. if you suppress it for too long it's going to come back like a zombie you know mm-hmm. um, and so making space to actually talk to my girlfriends and being intentional about um, I, I say we have um, we have wine and women or we have soup and wine and I say they, they, they get me a glass of wine or two it, it and me and then they try to take advantage of my emotions and and that's been really good mm-hmm. is uh, but then also saying I don't have to feel sad all the time as I get to feel good so there's nights where we're like we're not actually going to talk about anything serious we're going to have a fun night because um, that would just be draining with my kids the same thing is like I'm intentional about being present with them Mm -hmm. and so I don't make it about Sawyer I'm there with them now if I'm talking to one of my kids about Sawyer then we have those kinds of conversations Matthew which is the youngest just turned seven yesterday uh, Sawyer passed when he was five he talks a lot about death and he talks a lot about Sawyer and so we have to have those conversations and allow that to happen and I might be on my way to school or to drop him off or on my way to work or something and he brings this up and I'm like no we're gonna have feelings right now and being okay that I'm gonna start crying 
and that he's he needs this conversation of like I miss him and and going well what do you miss about him and what does that look like and then leaning into that and if I need to go in and fix my makeup or I'm going to a meeting or just telling people out loud again using words and saying hey I'm sorry I'm a little bit I had a, you know a hard maybe it's not the appropriate thing to go into all the details but I, I had a hard moment this morning and I'll, I'll adjust and I'll be present with you and then fully being present with whoever I'm with I think mm-hmm. that's something I really try to be intentional about is making sure that they're getting my energy and my headspace and all that um but giving myself the room to, I, I'm an internal processor, so I write a lot, and I can write something, and I can throw it away, or I can write something, and I can say, that's not 100% true, and I can rewrite it and revisit it, but at least giving myself the ability to get it all out. Um, I think some of the hard things that I've had to deal with is I get to do, my life is way easier, and what does that feel like, and... Um, and then what do I want to do with that? I think I think I want to travel. I've always wanted to travel. I enjoy traveling. And so realizing that I get to travel because I chose not to for so long. And what is that going to look like of, of releasing the fact that I get to do this because he's gone? And um, I think that realizing where your guilt is and what what that looks like for each individual is really important because somebody else's is going to be different than mine Mm -hmm. and so I don't have I I, I've never got to the point where I've been mad at God for my dad dying and I've never been mad at God for Sawyer dying because of my relationship with the Lord and my perspective there um it was more the letting go process of what that was going to look like and then what does my life now look like and what dreams do I have and I think that for the first time ever is more so now is realizing who I am mm-hmm. is probably one of the biggest parts in in the grief process is discovering who I am mm-hmm. yeah. because I don't have to anymore yeah I mean you your entire adult life yeah. was with him mm-hmm. so I can't imagine there's there's so much of you that you have to uncover now that has sort of been a, a secondary thought mm-hmm. for so long yeah um, and I think about I was talking to a friend the other day about grieving and loss and uh, she had lost a friend a few years ago and how um the emotions come back so strongly even years later mm-hmm. um and that's hard and that's sad but like in a way it's also signifying just how important and special that person was in your life and mm-hmm. and still is mm-hmm. um that's that is hitting a chord with you years later because this is someone that is is so valuable mm-hmm. and um someone who is just a, a, a gem in, in, mm-hmm. in the story of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have what um, we'll call empty spaces now. Because I had his bath chair from the time he was a baby until he passed away. So for almost 21 years, I was used to a bath chair. And now I don't have a bath chair. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those spots where you go take a shower and you're like, oh, I can take a shower. And it's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to... Glacier National Park several years ago and it was phenomenal and 
and they had made spaces for disabled people and we were able to take him so many places and it was just such a wonderful experience. I went back this summer for the first time without him and we walked in the we walked in one of the spaces I walked with him and all of a sudden I'm having a weird anxiety attack. Mm. And I my chest is just hurting and I'm like what's going on? And then just having to stop and go oh this is like I'm 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 actually avoiding that spot and I'm trying to push that you know that beach ball down of of feelings Mm -hmm. and so and we have family with us we had my little kids were there my mom was there and her new husband and when my aunt and my cousin were there and so I'm like I'm not gonna do just was one of those spots like I'm not gonna do this right now because it'll it'll take over the day if I'm gonna Mm -hmm. lean into this right now but I had to realize so I could get out of that anxiety attack I had to realize what I was feeling and what I was going through and that was one of those things later I had to actually tell so I had such a great day mm-hmm. and I got to go places I couldn't go without him yeah. yeah you definitely fought for a long time for not just his life because it seems like there's a lot of opportunities along the way where the doctors were yeah. ready to give up and you didn't but also just like that he was not a burden, yeah. that you were going to have fun, mm-hmm. that it was going to be like a family affair. How did, I guess to, to the point of his passing, you kind of had to let some of that go. And even now probably letting that go. What has that been like? Hey, the letting go process. So I wrote a blog on letting go before he passed away because I knew the, the final year of his life that he was going to go. The, the, either something miraculous it's going to happen and my life is going to change or my life is going to change. No matter what, my life is going to change. And so um, everybody kept saying, I just see this letting go over you, letting go over you. And I'm like, I'm not letting go. Like, <laughs> I'm stubborn. I hold into the bitter end. Yeah. So um, that letting go process looked like this tension of of not also having escape fantasies, not wishing things would happen different, but embracing the process of how it's going right now and what do I have control over? What can I do about it? I had lots of conversations with Sawyer over the last year of his life. And um, it's just, it, it's been, it's been such a unique experience that I hope to continue to explore and be able to share with other people because I don't feel like I've fully delved into it. Mm-hmm. I think um, when it's come to work, even I'm right now in a process of letting go of something that I have built forever and I'm moving to something else and it's a, it's a very similar type of a letting go of like I have established this, I've done all of this and now it's it's going to move on and become whatever it's going to become. And that company is called Sawyer. And mm-hmm. so that is, while I'm the owner of that company, I have not had the heart behind it. I've not had the vision behind it. I have not had all of these things because that's not the one I'm going to be in charge of. It's allowing me to go to another space. And it's such a unique and a special thing for me to be a part of. And, um, and it's hard. It's hard to be mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not going to have any control and I'm going to have minimal authority and I'm going to like do this. And I didn't have any control over Sawyer passing. The control I would have seemed detrimental. And so fighting the, the dying process of I don't want my son to live on a ventilator. I'm going to fight for his life and he could still be here today. He'd be on a ventilator. And that didn't seem like a quality of life that that 
meant I would be artificially keeping him alive. It didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Now, if I if I could put him on a ventilator and it help him, and then he'd get better, then a ventilator is absolutely the option that I would I went with at one point, and I'm not any longer, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so it's. Um, it's like I said. I, it's a place I want to continue to explore and um, find out more about what that's going to look like, and then share that process as I have walked through it. <laughs> yeah. Coming soon. Coming huge soon. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that I wanted to bring up. I don't know if this will make it or not. I think one of the things that you said. Um, throughout his life from the time that he was born throughout my time with doctors is I actually had the legal ability to euthanize my son. So if if people don't know about Terry Shrivo's case, I would look up Terry Shrivo. Um, after she was a fully functioning human and then she ended up um, on life support. And what they considered life support is a feeding tube and different things like that. And life support now isn't what life support used to be back in the day. So because Sawyer couldn't eat on his own, because he couldn't do anything by himself, I was actually considered his life support. So over the years, um, people have viewed euthanasia, oh, there's all there's a big topic all by itself. Um, I was offered several times the ability to let him pass. That to me is not letting somebody pass. That that to me is actually killing somebody in this particular instance. When Sawyer died, I allowed him to pass. Like I did not do anything to stop that from happening. Just taking away somebody's ability to eat because I don't feel like feeding him or anything like that, that is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so that was something that was presented as, a, a, you know, it'll be better for him, it'll be better for you, it'll be better for society, you know, all of these different things. And I think one of the things I would love to teach people is how to have the strength, how to have the courage, how to have the resources um, so that they can get their needs met and take care of, of other people. I think oftentimes we want people to have pain-free lives um, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, that we become pain avoiders. And rather than, than equipping people with the tools on how to um, face that, bring some kind of healing and some kind of strength to those kinds of situations. And I think that would be the biggest thing I would be the most passionate about is um, if you have a disabled child, is find find your community for one, Um I think one of the things that God told me a long time ago is just never to be ashamed of, of things. If I ever feel shame, if, if I'm ashamed of Sawyer, like what's going on inside of me? If I'm ashamed that I'm a young grandma, what's going on inside of me? Instead of going, yep, my I had my daughter young. I don't recommend it. I, there's, here's the reasons behind it. My daughter had her kids when she was young. She is an amazing mom, an amazing businesswoman. Mm-hmm. And I see not only myself and her, but I see her completely different. Like she's just taken me to, I'm like, wow, (laughs) you're an inspiration. So giving people the tools that they need rather than solving their problems in a different way. It's Mm -hmm. like that, you know, dealing with a situation and saying, let's get rid of somebody so life is easier. That doesn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and as an incredible businesswoman and mother and fighter and just all around kick butter, um, what does woman being mean to you? Um, I think I've thought a lot about this since the other day. Um, I was raised with all boys. I have two brothers. I have all male cousins. Um, from a young age, I have loved adventure. And I liked doing what I would consider stereotypical male things. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked doing those with a pink dress on and makeup and things. So I race cars. I can fix cars. I race motorcycles. I do a bunch of fun things. I think I never considered that to be male or female. Mm. Um, I think having a voice and realizing that I, growing up, was told to be seen and not heard and different things like that. And and I'm highly opinionated, as you experience on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like I'm incredibly humble at the same time. Is like, I really want, while I'm going to tell you my opinion, I'm not so opinionated that I don't want to hear your opinion. And so I think where it came to me with men was I don't, one, if they feel threatened by me, then I'm going to let them deal with that. Mm-hmm. If I'm threatening because I'm being intimidating, something is going on inside of me, I need to deal with that. So it, women being means just showing up, bringing my best, bringing my voice, bringing all of my personality, and then growing in my weaknesses, whatever those are. And, that, and we all are going to have to do that. We're all going to have to do that for the rest of our life. And there's going to be a place that somebody's going to call me out on something and I'm going to handle it wrong and I'm going to be like, ugh, my heart is to, like, <laughs> or I'm still dealing with this and it sucks, you know. Um, so I think woman being is just showing up fully, authentically, as as however we want to express that mm. is. Mm. I love that so much. I love that. So Joy, mm-hmm. I would love a plug I would love resources, <laughs> any resources you'd recommend for other people in a similar situation or um, wanting to learn more about people with disabilities or dealing with grief, like recommend anything, everything, books, <laughs> blogs, your social media, <laughs> which would be great. Um, nonprofits, give it all to me. Oh my gosh, that's so much. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Pick and choose which one of all of that you would like to actually share about. Social media for our production companies is um, sparrowpictures.com and heysawyer.com. Um, uh, we have Hey Sawyer Studios for Instagram, which is phenomenal. I know some amazing people that are working on all that. Um, I think my personal blog is The Joy of Imperfection. Um, I haven't posted a lot on that over the last couple of years because I've been dealing with <laughs> dying processes and building a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think resources, I think finding, it, you m- might not realize how much you need a counselor. Mm-hmm. I think finding a good counselor that clicks with you, um, even if you're a normal, healthy person that's not going through something, I think that it's like a car that needs an oil change. I think just having somebody to talk to that has the tools and the resources to help you process through whatever you're going through, because we all deal with pain. We all deal with tragedy. It's, it's uh, not something that's unique to me. My situation might be a unique situation, but pain is not. Um, I think that, um, 
books and things, I, I think one of my favorite books that I read uh, was um, Crucial Conversations and Crucial Confrontations. I think mm-hmm. those are things that you have to deal with in life. I love all things Danny Silk. Um, I think that he's had a massive impact on my life, and whether it's kids, business, spouse, relationships, girlfriends, anything, like I think that just having those tools on how do I – how do I just own my side of any relationships? Um, I think The Body Keeps Score was a great book. Such a good book. I think um, I think I am a codependent person, and I've had to walk through what does that look like as I want to take ownership for my half of the relationship and your half of the relationship, and I want everybody to be happy. Mm-hmm. So reading about codependency, I didn't think I was a codependent person until I started reading about it. And then I thought, oh, well, only these particular types of people are codependent, and I will find myself, even in the middle of work, going, oh, I'm being codependent again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so identifying some of those things, um, I'm, a, I love, I love reading. I think whatever you want to do in life, um, read about it and get involved. I think when it comes to film, I will read the, what CEOs are doing, the effective mm-hmm. executive. I've read people that own businesses. So not just the film part, I want to like own studios and things mm-hmm. so I have to know what direction I'm headed as well as where I'm at so it kind of depends on whether it's an emotional resource I would just highly recommend people getting into whatever yeah. their their needs are and their wants are it's like do both don't yeah. don't do one or the other I couldn't agree more <laughs> and I believe that is part of what we're doing here or what we're hoping to do here on the podcast is to help people get into a little bit of all of it um and the value you've brought today is just incredible thank you so much for sharing your story for sharing with us about Sawyer your internal world with that process I just it it feels like more valuable than gold to me um and so thank you so much and um woman beings thank you for joining us today don't forget follow us Give us a like, give us a review, follow us on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel if you want to listen to us and then watch us. So we'll wrap this up and we'll see you next week. Bye.